You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. Okay, so that's last week. Uh, Today, we are back in a set of sermons that we started two weeks ago called The Bride. The Bride. It is a set of sermons on the Church of Jesus Christ. And the way we started this set of sermons out a couple of weeks ago was by doing a word association game. I say a word, and you get to kind of just get a sense of what bubbles out of your heart when you hear this word said. And the word we started with was the word church. What, what follows in your heart that word church? When you hear that, what do you think? What, what do you feel? What, what's happening inside of you? And even more important than us figuring out what is the word association game for us when we hear that word, it's even more important to get a sense of what, is, what, it, what happens to the heart of God when he hears the word church. And so we looked at Ephesians chapter 5 a couple of weeks ago and saw in Ephesians chapter 5 that the Lord calls the church his bride. And we, we said, based on that, that when, when God hears the word church, what bubbles up out of the heart of God is love for the local church. He loves the church. God's heart is bursting with love for the church. He loved the church so much, he gave his beloved son for the church to purchase the church. Jesus lived, died, rose from the dead so that he could purchase the church This is how much God the Father loves the church. He couldn't give a more precious thing than his beloved son to obtain the church. He loves his church like that from Ephesians 5. He loves his church so much that right now he is laboring with the church to make it beautiful. He delights in and cherishes the church. When God hears that word church, his heart bursts forth with love for the church. And one of the things that we're praying for everyone in our church family as we're talking about the church in this set of sermons is that God would do that For us, God would take his big heart that's bursting with love for the church and plant his heart into us so that our heart is bursting with love for the church. I mean, this is what we're praying for you and for me, that God would give us fresh ambitions on how God might want to use our life to see the local church flourish and become all that she is meant to be. That God would do that for you and for me. Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite uh, preachers in church history, when he was talking about the church one time, he called the church the dearest place on earth. And I'm just praying God would give you that sense. God would convince you and, and help you and I feel like when we think of the word church, that is the dearest place on earth to us. Now, with that said, we're gonna take step two today. Step two, and I want to start this morning by reading a parable. Really, it's the the first two or three chapters of a book that I read years ago on the church. And here is the parable. Here's the first first three paragraphs of that book. Jack and Grace met through a mutual friend. From day one, they seemed to be a perfect match. Grace was everything Jack had always wanted. She was beautiful, outgoing, and caring, always there when Jack needed her. Uh, For the first five months, they were inseparable. Jack could hardly think of anything but grace. He didn't need to look further. He told his friends, she is the one. Grace is it. Now, almost three years have passed. Jack still enjoys the comfort and kind of the familiarity of being with grace, but the spark is gone. Grace's flaws seem more obvious. He's not sure he finds her as attractive as he once did. And he's beginning to resent all the time Grace wants to spend with him. One night when she asks if they can define the nature of their relationship, Jack blows up. 
We're together, aren't we? He asked angrily. Isn't that enough for you? Obviously, Jack isn't ready for commitment. And it's unclear if he ever will be. Have you ever been in a relationship like this? I'm writing this book because I believe God has something better for you. He wants you in a relationship defined by both passion and commitment. But before you can take hold of this wonderful plan, you need to know something about this couple. There are millions of Jacks walking around today. And Grace isn't a girl. Grace is a church. Now, that is a great parable, a great picture of how so many people today view their relationship with the church. You know, if, if you take kind of some twin vices in our culture, this rugged sort of individualism that dominates our culture, you know, it's that vibe that says, I don't need anyone else. It's, it's just me and I'll be just fine. Or if we're going to apply that kind of spiritually, it's me and Jesus. I don't really need anything else. I'll be just fine if it's me and Jesus. That sort of rugged individualism that, that so permeates our culture, combined with that sort of give me mine consumerism, you know, that, that consumerism that says, it's all about getting my preferences met. As long as my preferences are appeased, then I'm okay. But as soon as you don't meet my preferences, my preferences aren't appeased, I'm out of here. This sort of rugged individualism combined with this sort of give me mine consumerism has created a whole culture full of church daters. A whole culture full of people who look at the church and their question is, what is she going to give me? And as long as she's giving me something, then I'm okay. Without ever stopping to ask, I wonder what my commitment would be to the local church. I, I wonder what, what sort of commitment should define how I relate to the bride. Cultural consumerism and this rugged individualism have co combined to create a whole culture full of jacks. We've got a whole lot of jacks running around in our culture. Now, just think about how Jake, our Jack relates to Grace. I mean, he's looking at, at Grace and saying, man, I think you're great. I mean, I, I love to be in this sort of dating relationship, but why in the world do we need to talk about marrying one another? I mean, why, why do we need to bring that sort of uh, thought up? Why do we need to define our relationship like that? Grace, we're serious. We're going places. You're the one, but, but let's not talk about marriage. Let's not talk about defining or solidifying our commitments to one another. Let's sort of keep our options open. If you were Grace and you were relating to Jack, what would you say to Jack? I think we would all be saying, Jack, I am not in for this. That's a no to that. I am not going to be stuck in this perpetual sort of dating relationship with you. There's got to be a moment, Jack. When you put all your chips on the table, you move them all in with me saying no to all of your other options and you say yes to me. That moment's got to happen. And in the same way, Grace, speaking on behalf of the bride of Christ, says to us all this morning, I want to marry you, not perpetually date you. This is what Grace, aka the bride of Christ, is saying to all of us. I don't intend to be in this perpetual dating relationship. I would really like for our relationship to be, to be defined. I would actually like to marry you. That's what I want from this. 
You know, I actually think it's healthy for every Christian to see their lives through the lens of multiple marriages, in particular three marriages. I think it's a really healthy way to see um, where our commitments are and how, how, how we're to operate in life through the lens of these three marriages. One is our marriage to Jesus. In a very real sense, if you are a believer in Jesus, you are married to Jesus. He is your eternal husband. Heaven is pictured as an eternal honeymoon where our joy will increase forever with Jesus. Right? So one marriage is our marriage with Jesus. The second marriage is your marriage to your uh, particular family. So I am married right now to Laura, and that's part of how my family marriage would work out, that I've looked at Laura and I've said no to every other option, and I've said yes to that beautiful woman, um, that, that I am pledging myself to be yours for, for the rest of my life. Right? That's another marriage that we have is the marriage to our family. And then thirdly, there is the marriage that oftentimes gets skipped over and, and kind of put on the back shelf. And that is your marriage to a church. Your marriage to a church. And it's that marriage to the church that I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to talk to you about what, what does it look like to marry the church? This is what the church wants from you. This is what the bride wants. Jesus doesn't want us in a perpetual dating relationship with the church. He wants us to marry it. So, so what does it mean to marry a church? Or what does it mean to become a member of a church? That's what I want to talk with you about for the rest of our time. So I want to kind of work this um, through three different questions. Three different questions. And here's question number one. What is covenant membership or what is membership in a church? What, what does it mean to marry a church through, through membership in a church? So one, one way to kind of get at that is just to think about what is the difference between two people dating and two people marrying one another? What's the difference between those two? In dating, there have been no official sort of willing commitments that have been made that are binding. It's, it's just not that. Uh, dating has the mirage of exclusivity, but it's not exclusive. Um, ladies, if you ever come, um, you know, if you ever join up with a guy and that guy looks at you and says, hey, let's just date. Let's don't worry about the marriage thing. But let's just date. You're the one, but let's just, we don't have to talk about the, the, the marriage thing. Uh, let me translate what he is saying in that moment. Because dating has a mirage of exclusivity, but it's not exclusive. What he is really saying is, hey, I am completely committed to you unless something better comes along. But in marriage, what we are saying, two people get up in front of, a, of another group of people, these two people, and, and they look at each other and they make a set of promises to one another. They are looking at one another and they're saying, I do. I am committed to you. I am in with you. I am promising you certain things for the rest of my life. That's what a marriage is. And in a similar way, that is showing us a picture of what it means to be a member of a church or to marry a church. Um, when you think about church membership, it's, it's essentially a person making a threefold commitment. When you marry the bride of Christ, a local church, you are making a threefold commitment. Um, look up on the screen. This is, we typically use this graph to kind of help make sense of this threefold commitment. So on the top of that graph, you see the commitment to Jesus. So part of what uh, being a church member is, is saying, I am in with Jesus and I love Jesus and I'm committed to Jesus. He has rescued me and saved me. I am all his and whatever he wants, I'm in. There's a commitment to Jesus. And then when you, when you kind of push that down, you see that the next commitments. It's not only this vibrant commitment to Jesus, but part of what it means to be a part of a local church and a member of a church is you make a commitment to the health of the church body. That you're looking at a group of people and saying, I am now going to give my life away to help you love Jesus. 
and to help you collectively as a church family be all that Jesus wants you to be and wants us to be. I'm in, I'm committed to this church body. And the third commitment is you look at a specific group of pastors and you say, I'm committed to you. I'm gonna come up under your authority and leadership and I'm committed to you. And it's where those three commitments overlap. Commitment to Jesus, commitment to a body, commitment to a group of pastors or elders. It's where those three overlap that you've got the biblical idea of church membership. It's when you have made those three commitments that you've actually stepped away from dating and into a marriage with a church. Maybe you could think of it this way. Just like a wedding, you marry or become a member of a church in the moment that these commitments are formalized. That they're formalized. In the moment that you say to a group of people and their pastors, I do to you. I am in with you. I am going to seek for, for, for you to flourish. I, I'm in. I, I do. And then that local group of church, you know, that church, that local group of people, that church body, and their pastors look at you back, and then they say, I do to you. It's when that moment is formalized, your I do and the church's body and the church's pastors, their I do to you. When that moment is formalized, that is the moment that you have church membership. That's the moment that you've actually stepped into a marriage with the church. Okay, so that's what is covenant membership. Now comes the, the even more important question. Is that biblical? Is church membership biblical? Now, the reason we need to spend some time on this is because, um, think of the word Trinity for a moment. Um, the word Trinity, you're not going to go to a concordance in the Bible and find the word Trinity in the Bible. But what you will find in the Bible is the teaching that God is one, but God is made up of three persons, and each of these distinct persons within the Godhead is fully God. You find that teaching in the Bible. And, and that teaching is what we're summarizing with the word Trinity. That God is one, he, he's made up of three persons, and those three persons are each fully God, right? So in some ways you could say it this way. Although the word Trinity is not in the Bible, what the Bible teaches necessarily implies that God is triune. Now in the same way, that is how church membership works. You're not going to go to a concordance and find church member or covenant member. Those words aren't going to appear in your Bible. But with what the Bible does teach and command, it necessarily implies that there is such a thing as church membership. So church membership is really just a way to talk about what the Bible is commanding and telling us as Christians to be about the work of doing. I, I like how one pastor put it. He said, there's enough in the scriptures to leave no no doubt that obedience to Jesus and obedience to the Bible demands, not suggests, but demands that we join or marry a local church in a way that is far more robust than simply attending on a weekend. That what the Bible is showing us and commanding us to do would imply that there is such a thing as membership and we have to figure out what that looks like and what that means. So let me just give you some places where the Bible implies this idea of membership. Where it just, if this is true in the Bible, if the Bible says this, where it not, like necessitates that membership is a thing. So let me give you three of them really quickly here. Number one, you see church membership implied in the accountability of people to pastors and pastors to people. Now, this is our text this morning, Hebrews 13, 17. I want you to look at that, that one verse, Hebrews 13, 17. 
Now, you're not going to find the words church membership in Hebrews 13, 17, but what you are going to find is if you rung out Hebrews 13, 17, what you're going to find dripping out of that verse is church membership. Okay, so it, it's, by the fact that that verse is in the Bible, it is necessitating that there is such a thing as membership. So let me read it for you. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, this passage is showing us the two sides of church membership. Side number one, you can think of it from the pastor's point of view. So for the pastor, this moment is showing us, this passage is showing us that pastors will give an account before God for every person that God entrusts to them. But as a pastor of a local church and for for your elders here, uh, we know that we're not accountable for every Christian in Midlothian or every Christian in the Midlothian area. We are accountable for the particular well-defined people that God has entrusted to us. So whoever that circle is of God has entrusted these people to us, it's those people who we are going to stand before God with. And that just brings all sorts of fear and trembling to me when I think about that. That that's the people that I'm going to be held responsible for and our elders will be held responsible for someday before God for caring for them and watching over their souls. Now, on the other side of that, God has called every Christian to live under Hebrews 13, 17. Like the, the two imperatives in this passage are obey your leaders and submit to them. So, so part of what it means to be a member or, you know, to, to, well, let me take a step back to just obey the scriptures is that you find not every Christian leader out there, but, but a group of Christian leaders or pastors at one particular church and you bring your life up under their leadership. You submit to their authority in your life. So that's the other side of this. So now let's put those two things together and talk about what church membership is. Because when those two things are happening, when that happens, it is showing you what church membership is. So church membership is the moment when a person says, I willingly and officially submit to these pastors. Not every group of pastors out there, but these pastors in particular. And on the other hand, it's when the pastors say, I willingly and officially accept the responsibility of watching over your souls and know that one day I will give account for you. It's when that is officially and willingly recognized on both parties that you have a church member. That's, that's, that's what church membership is. Church membership is the moment where the lines are drawn for everyone. It's the moment when lines are drawn for pastors so pastors will know who in particular are we going to be held responsible for and it's where the line is drawn for people. Who in particular are the group of pastors that I will be held responsible for submitting to and getting my life under their authority? That, that is what church membership is doing. Now, let me just take a step back and ask the question that comes out of Hebrews 13, 17. Are you living in that? Obeying Hebrews 13, 17 is more than I am showing up on a weekend. It is more than I periodically come and I hear some, like a sermon and some, some music. And it's more than that. 
It's you saying, I am officially and willingly coming up under the leadership of this group of people. I'm making that known. I'm living in such a way where I'm recognizing their authority and I'm inviting a church family in to say, will you please help me be all that God would have me be? Will you please hold me accountable? Will you please help me pursue Jesus in the sort of robust ways that I would desire? Is that, is that happening in your life? Is Hebrews 13, 17 being obeyed for you? I just want to let you wrestle with that. Think about that. Is that happening? So one way we see the, the you know, church membership played out in the Bible is through the accountability of people to pastors and pastors to God. Here's the second way we see church membership um, implied in the Bible. It's through church discipline. Through church discipline. Now, the idea of church discipline is so foreign to our culture and churches within our culture, that we're going to take some time in a few weeks to just walk through the hows and the what's and why's of that, because my assumption for most of us is that feels crazy. So for our purposes this morning, I want to just kind of put all that on hold for a couple of weeks. My purpose is this morning, I want to read one passage that shows you church discipline in the Bible and just make a few comments about it. So this is 1 Corinthians 5, verses 1 and 2. 1 Corinthians Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Paul says this. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. And you, church, you are being arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn that that is happening in your church? And this is what you should do, church. Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Okay, so think context here. Here's what's going on. You have a guy in the Corinthian church who is committing adultery with his dad's new wife, his stepmom. And he has been confronted lovingly in that. They have pled with him to turn from those things, to to not do that. But he is refusing to turn from his sin. He is looking at the church and their church leaders and saying, I don't care what you say. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I don't care what you say about that. And Paul then comes in and says, here is what you then need to do as a church. If that is his posture and that's where he is, here is what you need to do. You need to remove him from your church. He can no longer be a part of the in in your church. He's got to be an out of your church now. Okay, now for our purposes this morning, let me just make one particular point with that whole dynamic in, in 1 Corinthians 5. The only way for there to be an out in a church is if there is a clearly defined in in the church. Does that make sense? Let me put it on the screen for you to hopefully kind of make sense of this. It doesn't really make sense just to put the word out up there. I mean, if I were to say a person is out, you should naturally say, well, out of what? You can't just be out. You've got to be out of something. And in the same way, to have an out, there has to be the other side of this. This is the next slide. There has to be a clearly defined end. And when there is a clearly defined in, then it could make sense how you could take a person and say you're no longer in, but now you're on the outside. Now you are removed from the in. But, but church discipline only makes sense in the context of a clear church membership. You've got to have the in to be able to have the out. I like how one pastor talks about this. He said, I cannot be removed from the Northern California Left-Handed Golfers Association. I can't be removed from there because I've never been a member of such an organization. 
Now, according to their website, the NCLHGA will remove people from membership for several reasons. But I am in no danger of being subject to such an action because you can't kick a person out who was never a member to begin with. Do you see the point? It's like there's no such thing as an out unless there is a clearly defined in. In that way, church discipline clearly necessitates that there is church membership. Here's the third one. Think about church metaphors. The the metaphors that the Bible gives for the church necessitate a clearly defined membership of the church. So if you just start reading in the New Testament, you find all sorts of metaphors. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Paul calls the church a flock. In uh, 1 Timothy, Paul calls the church a household or a family. In Ephesians, he calls it a, a building and a body. And each of those metaphors... They only work if there is a clearly defined definition for them. So think about the word flock. If you're a shepherd and you're entrusted with a flock, you know how many sheep are in the flock. You know the the tendencies of those sheep in the flock. You know the parameters of your flock. So that if a sheep comes in from a different flock, you know he's not a part of yours. He's a part of that one, right? So the only way a shepherd can, can even think about a flock as in terms of a clearly defined group of sheep. In the same way, think about a family. Moms and dads typically aren't asking the question, you know, I wonder if that's my kid. Is that, is, is that one mine or not mine? I mean, that's not, there's a clearly defined group of people that are your kids. Brothers and sisters typically don't ask, now, is he my brother? Is he my brother? Like, which one's my, I don't know which one's, that's typically not the way it works, is it? Because there is a clearly defined group of people that are your kids, if your parents are your brothers and sisters, right? A family is a clearly defined group of people. In the same way, um, people typically don't look at their arm and they're typically not like, man, I don't know if that arm is mine. Like, is that finger really my finger? I mean, that's typically not a question you have asked, is it? Why? Because there is a clearly defined body and you know what's a part of your body and what's a not part of your body, right? All of those metaphors, they they only make sense if there is a clearly defined group of people that make them up called members, right? And even the body analogy is kind of where we get that idea of members, that there's like an actual hand and a foot and toes that make up this body, that are members of the body. So all of those metaphors only make sense in light of church membership. Now, I want to take just a moment to talk to you about how we do church membership at Stonegate. And I'm just going to take a second to explain this as, as thoroughly as I can so that we're all clear on just what that looks like and how, how it works here. The, the first step that people would, would go through at Stonegate would be discover Stonegate. We just had, and most of them are probably in the room this morning, another 50 adults go through our current round of Discover Stonegate. It ended this morning, our third round. Yeah, isn't that a great thing? So, uh, so it's a three-week class where all we're trying to do is take the first step of getting to know you and allow you to take the first step of getting to know us. It's we're trying to work through our visions and values, what's important to us, how we're trying to do things around here. We're trying to just to, to outline and clarify all of those sorts of things. Then after Discover Stonegate happens, we do something called a follow-up conversation. 
It's a moment where we get to hear your story. We get to hear about the grace of Jesus in your story. We get to hear you articulate what the good news of Jesus is, what the gospel is. We get to hear you articulate when and how the Lord has been at work in your life, when he's rescued you, what he's been up to in you lately. And we get to affirm at the end of that. Yeah, we, we, we could say yes to, we also believe that God has saved you and rescued you. So we do a follow-up conversation. And that follow-up conversation has a moment in it where we read through our membership covenant together. Now, when it comes to, to how you formalize, as a person, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring my life under the authority of these pastors. And as pastors, we are now gonna be held responsible for your soul and how we care and watch over you. There can be a lot of ways that churches do that. Some churches could just bring guys up at the end of the service and they could shake hands and that could be their way. You could wink, and that could be your way of formally rec. Yeah, I mean, whatever you're, I mean, it could be a lot of different ways. The way we're choosing to do that at Stonegate, to be as clear as we can on what you could expect from pastors and what the Bible and this body and pastors would expect from you and our church family, is we have just spelled it out in a written document called a membership covenant that we all sign when we become a member, that we clearly understand what we can expect from pastors and what pastors and, and the body could expect from us. Now, let me just say this at the outset none of this should be like, oh, that's in there? That feels weird. Because all of it, like I, I, in no way, shape or form are we trying to add anything to what the Bible says as Christians we should be about. All we're trying to do is condense what the Bible says that we should be about as a church, what pastors should be about, what, what members should be about at a church, and bring that all into one place where we can see what the Bible says about it. So this is not us adding anything. It's just us trying to condense what does the Bible say about pastors' responsibilities and about people's responsibilities. So here is how it goes. First of all, it's to pastors. Here are the pledges and commitments and covenants and promises that pastors are making to the people of Stonegate. With the help of the Holy Spirit, the church leadership covenants the following. We covenant ourselves to lovingly care for you and to seek your growth in Christ. We covenant to provide teaching, preaching, and counsel from the scriptures. We covenant that this teaching will span the whole counsel of God's word. We covenant to help you in times of need. We covenant that your elders and deacons will meet the criteria assigned to them in the scriptures. We covenant to pray for you on a regular basis, especially when you're sick. And we have, by the way, uh, passages in our membership covenant that just outline why all these would be there scripturally. Number seven, we covenant to be on guard against false teachers. Number eight, we covenant to exercise church discipline when necessary. Number nine, we covenant to help you become equipped to serve Christ. Number 10, we covenant to seek God's will for our church community to the best of our ability as we study the scriptures and follow the spirit. Number 11, we covenant to set an example and join you in fulfilling the duties of church members. So we wanna be really clear. You can expect that from your pastors here. This is what we're looking at you and saying, I do to those things. Now, on the other hand, we have 10 things that as a member of a church that we're all saying as members to this body and our pastors here, I mean, this is what we're saying yes to. This is the commitments that we're making as, as a part of this church family. With the guiding help of the Holy Spirit, I, the undersigned, covenant the following. I am a Christian who has been saved from my sins by the grace of Jesus Christ. I've been baptized to give testimony of my identification with the body of Christ and obedience to the scriptures. So the first one is us just saying, 
To the best of my abilities, I've searched the scriptures and I've talked with God. I would say that I'm a Christian. I think that I am. I think God has rescued and saved me. And I've taken that first step of obedience and I've been identified with Jesus through baptism. Number two, I have read and understood the Stonegate Church doctrinal statement and agree not to be divisive to its teaching. I also understand the importance of submission to church leadership and will be diligent to preserve unity and peace. Our Stonegate Church doctrinal statement is um, wide as it can possibly be and be orthodox Christianity. This is who God is. This is what Jesus has done. This is what we feel about the scriptures. This is what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. We're just trying to be as clear as we can about the non-negotiables that make Christians Christians and not something else. So we're agreeing on that. And then we're also saying we all value unity in our church family. So we're going to labor together to preserve unity within our church. Number three, I will endeavor to maintain a close relationship with the Lord through regular personal Bible reading, prayer, fellowship, and practice of the other spiritual disciplines. My journey in Christ will be evident through my regular participation in the corporate worship services and involvement in a small or a home group. So this is us saying, I affirm, I'm making a promise that I am going to be a person who pursues Jesus. Yes, I'm going to have ups and downs in my life, but I am am promising to this body, I'm going to be a person who pursues Jesus. And if you see me not doing that, please help me do that. Please, Please be a part of spurring me on toward Jesus. But I want you to know that I'm going to be committed to reading the Bible. I'm going to be committed to talking to God through prayer. I'm going to be committed to all those disciplines that would help me know and love God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And part of what those disciplines are going to be is I'm going to show up to be with you, this church body, on the weekends. When I'm here, I am here with my church family. And I'm going to be a part of a small group, a home group at Stonegate, where I can be known as a person, where people can know my unique temptations and struggles and pray for me and push me on to be more like Jesus. That's number three. Number four, I'll strive to properly manage the resources God has given me, including my time, body, gifts, talents, attitudes, finances, and possessions. This includes regular giving to Stonegate that is sacrificial and cheerful. So this is just an affirmation that we all are on the same page. We're stacking our hands and we're saying this, God is the owner of everything and we're stewards of everything. We don't own anything. God owns it all. We steward everything that God gives us. And we, as God's stewards, want to be good stewards. We want to be faithful with what God has entrusted to us. And part of what that looks like to be faithful is that we're giving on a regular basis in a cheerful and sacrificial way to our local church family. Number five, I commit myself to the Stonegate Church family and agree to aid in fulfilling its missional purpose to both be and bring the gospel to the Midlothian South Dallas area. I recognize this will be accomplished by pursuing Stonegate Church's core values of gospel community and mission. Number five is all of us affirming, yes, we're stacking hands on this. We're going to live in our identity as missionaries, that we're going to seek to see our neighborhood come to faith in Jesus. Like we really do want our neighbor to meet Jesus. We really do want our coworkers to meet Jesus. Yes, we are stacking our hands that we're gonna be a missionary for Jesus' sake. Number six, I commit to using the spiritual gifts God has given me for the building up of the church, both at Stonegate Church and the Church Universal. I understand that serving regularly is an expectation and membership requirement. I am currently serving in the following capacity at Stonegate. This is all of us affirming that God has given us gifts, 
He's made us unique parts of the body. And part of all of our commitment is making sure we're plugging our unique gift set into the church family so that this church will be all that God would have it be. And in the meantime, you would develop in the all that God would have you be. So it's a, it's a stacking our hands on, we are going to be servants in the church. We're gonna serve the bride of Christ. Number seven, by God's grace, I covenant to strive t- toward both humility and holiness in all areas of my life as an act of worship to Jesus. It's a stacking hands on and saying this, God wants us as a church to be holy and humble people. He wants that for us. Believers should strive to put certain attitudes and actions to death while stirring and stimulating love and good deeds through the Spirit. Below are a few examples of actions addressed in the scriptures. We just wanted to be very particular and clear in light of our current kind of contextual kind of culture where we are right now about how some of these could play out. And here are three of them that we listed. I will practice complete chastity unless married, and if married, complete fidelity within heterosexual monogamous marriage. Complete chastity and fidelity means, among other things, that regardless of my marital status, I will pursue purity and abstain from sexual and moral practices such as adultery, premarital sex, pornography, and homosexuality. And we just list a whole set of scriptures behind that to give where the Bible is saying we should be about that. Secondly, I will seek to preserve the gift of marriage and agree to walk through a process of marriage reconciliation at Stonegate Church before pursuing divorce from my spouse. It's very important to us that you would allow your church family in on that before you just kind of unilaterally make a decision to go in that way. We list a whole set of scriptures to show why, that, why the Bible would say we should be about that. And thirdly, I'll refrain from drunkenness, gossip, and other sinful behavior as the Bible dictates. And we just list passages that show examples of what that could be. But all of that is us saying we want to be a church who strives for holiness and humility. Number eight. I covenant to submit to the, to the discipline of God through the Holy Spirit by. So it's us stacking our hands. We're all gonna be people submitted to God and especially his discipline when we need it in these ways. By following the biblical procedures for church discipline as outlined in our membership packet when sin is evident in another with the hope of such discipline being repentance and restoration. We submit to the discipline of God by receiving righteous and loving discipline when approached biblically by fellow believers. So part of what we're all stacking our hands on when we become members of Stonegate is, you now have the right as my body, as part of me, to help me pursue Jesus. And let me just say this as one of your pastors. If you ever see anything in me that is off, that is ungodly, that is not scriptural, that's not right. I just want you to know, I invite you. I want you and need you to say something about that. This is part of what it means to be connected to a body of believers. Thirdly, we submit to the discipline of God when we do the fo- by doing the following when we sin, by confessing our sin to God and to fellow believers, and by repenting and seeking help to put my sin to death. And fourthly, we submit to the discipline of God through the Holy Spirit by submitting to the elders and other appointed leaders of the church and diligently striving for unity and peace within the church. Number nine, I covenant to submit to the authority of the scriptures as the final arbiter on all issues. In other words, we're all stacking our hands on this. Ultimately, it doesn't matter what you think or what I think, the Bible always wins. Like what the Bible thinks wins in every moment around here. And number 10, 
that we covenant to do the following should I leave the church for righteous reasons. Number one, to notify the appropriate staff member. And secondly, to seek another church with which I can carry out my biblical responsibilities as a believer. Now, we have a little, uh, another paragraph there at the bottom that just basically says this is a great evaluating sort of a tool, like that we should regularly return to just to get a, a sense of an evaluation. How are we doing right now? Like, what, what is my spiritual life like? Am I, am I there on all these things? Is my heart open to the Lord? Am I pursuing holiness and humility? Am I running after Jesus? Am I seeking to preserve unity? It's a great tool on a yearly basis just to return to, to reaffirm those sort of commitments. Now, let me end by saying this. Um, there are some of us in the, in the room uh, this morning that, that we, we haven't done that. We're stuck somewhere in the process. Maybe we have just been kicking the tires for a long time and we just haven't yet committed to a church. Um, so, so maybe you just haven't even gotten into the Discover Stonegate thing yet and into kind of the pipeline leading uh, toward church membership. If that's you, then this would be a great time to get out of that kind of rut and to jump in. On the screen, I've got an email address, membership at stonegate.church. If you're interested in Discover Stonegate, you can write that email address down, shoot them an email, and we would love to follow up with you. Secondly, here's the other side of that. Some of you have been through Discover Stonegate, but you've just had like a little lag now in the follow-up conversation. And for some, that lag has been like three years long. And it's time to go ahead and take the last step in that. To where you're at, you're not, no longer dating, but you've officially married, where you're going to say, I do, in a formal and official sort of a way. And if that's you, you can email that email address, and we would love to take that next step with you and have a moment where we all say our I do's together, and we get on down the road together as, as a married set of people around here, as the body of Jesus. Okay, now here is where I want to land the plane today with a third question. Why do I need to marry the church of Jesus Christ? Why do I need to marry? And I want to focus on that word need. Because it is so, the, the, the cultural ethos that we all are just breathing every day it is so this rugged individualism that says, you know what, I, I'm, I'm really fine without being like in a body. I'm really fine. As long as it's Jesus and me, as long as it's I, me and Jesus, as long as we're good, then I'm good. I really don't need a church. Are you sure about that? Are you sure about that? I love how one pastor put it. He said, saying I need Jesus but not the church is to say I need Jesus but not the very thing Jesus says I need. Saying I need Jesus but not the church is saying I need Jesus but I'm just gonna go ahead and do away with the very thing Jesus says I need to become all that Jesus would have me be. I mean, think about the body analogy for a moment. Let's just say that you're a hand in the body. That's your spiritual gift. You've got the spiritual gift of service. We have a lot of those guys around here, and it's incredible watching them do what they do. It's unbelievable. But imagine if, if you're a hand, you've got the gift of service, and you decide, you know what? It's Jesus and me. That's all I need. And you take your knife today, and you sever your hand from the body. What's going to happen to your hand? It's going to fall on the ground. It might twitch a time or two, and it's going to start to wilt and shrivel, isn't it? It's going to die right there. Now, it, now why is that? Because a hand actually needs a, a body. Like for a hand to be all the hand is meant to be, it needs a wrist. It needs a forearm, an elbow. It needs a shoulder. A hand can't, it just can't exist by itself. It can't do that. 
See, part of what the body imagery and metaphor shows us is that you'll never be all you've been created to be until you plug into a body where what you are can be connected to what you aren't. See, if you're going to be all that God has you to be, if you're a hand, you've got to plug into a body so that what you are can get connected to what you aren't, an, an arm and a shoulder. So that now the arm and the, the shoulder and the hand can now all work together to actually do something. And apart from that, if a shoulder just says, hey, I'm just going to chill, just me and Jesus as a shoulder. I mean, what, what is a shoulder going to do with itself? What's an elbow going to do by itself? Nothing, right? We all need these other members if we're going to be who God has created us to be. So, so maybe you could think of it this way. If you're not connected to a body of believers, a local church, of the bride of Jesus, if you're not connected to them, here's what's happening right now. A local church is suffering. If right now you're just dating the church, that, that's, not a, uh, that's not a harmless way of living life. People are suffering right now if that's the way you're doing it. The, the church that you should be connected into, and by God's grace, I hope it's this one, but if it's not this one, it's another one around here. But, but the church is suffering if you, whatever your spiritual gift is, is not plugged into the body so that that body can then be everything it's meant to be. There's a good chance right now we're walking around here one-legged with some crutches on because you're not plugged in and being the other leg or the other arm or the other hand or the other eye or the other mouth that is needed here. So there's a church suffering if you're dating the church. But, but maybe even worse than that, you're suffering because you're not connected to it. You're the hand flopping around on the floor on its way to shriveling and dying because you need more than you if you're ever going to be what God has made you to be and created you to be. And just to give you some, some illustrations of this, recently we got a phone call from one of the ladies in our church who, I mean, it was just that, that sort of sucker punch moment where I just honestly can't imagine a more heartbreaking scenario for a woman to go through. So we get the call, she's hysterical. We show up at her house and by the time we got there, a lady in our home group beat us there. And this lady just in a pool of tears and this dear lady in her home group is just crying with her, just grieving her losses with her. Another lady in her home group came over that night and spent the night with her. See, that's what happens when you're connected to a body. You know, it's amazing for me how when people are actually serving and they're connected into a body and who they are is connected into who they aren't and this body is now working and growing together, it's amazing to me how it confirms to, to people around them that God actually loves them. Like, like when a church is operating well and these members are plugged into those members and we've got this body working, it takes the ab... I think about your life, how often the love of God feels abstract to you. It feels really theoretical and up there in the clouds. And when we're serving one another and loving one another in, in the body, it helps convince us that God actually does love us. Uh, listen to what one guy in our church sent in a text message to another guy in our church. He, he said this, your friendship and your guidance are one of the reasons I know that God loves me and cares for me. 
you being who you're meant to be in the body is one way that God is affirming to me in the way you have loved me and served me. It's one of the ways God is affirming to me that God actually loves me. And I want to say thanks for all that you do. You have been heavy on my heart and I've been praying for God's joy to be overwhelming to you. I want you to know that I love you, brother. See, that is the church doing what the church does. And if you're dating the church, you're missing all of those sort of things. Maybe this is the best reason that you should stop dating the church and actually marry it. Do you ever ask yourself the question, am I for real? Like, do I really love Jesus? And have I really been changed by Jesus? I mean, periodically, I ask myself that. God, have you you really saved me? Are you really changing me? God, is this, is this, am I just, am I just playing? Or is this, is this legitimate and real and genuine? Listen to Mark Dever describe how church membership can help. Do you want to know that your new life in Jesus is real? Well, here's what you can do. Commit yourself to a local group of saved sinners. Try to love them. And don't just do it for three weeks. Don't just do it for six months. Do it for years. And I think you'll find out, and others will too, whether or not you actually love God. The truth will show itself. Why don't you pray with me? I'm going to give you a second to allow the Spirit to press into you the things that would be helpful to wipe away the things that would not be this morning. And for some of us in the room, the, the first step toward Jesus this morning is just to open your life to Jesus and say, God, would you save me? God, would you, would you rescue me? I am trusting in the life, death, and burial of, res- of Jesus and his resurrection. I'm trusting in in his work on my behalf to to make a way so that I could be reconciled to you. So God, save me this morning. Some of us, that's the first thing that needs to happen this morning. And for others in the room, our next step is to say, Jesus, I love your bride too. And I'm not just going to date her anymore, but I'm going to marry her. I'm going to move toward her. So God, would you please help us this morning? God, would you help us hear from you? I pray that through the Holy Spirit this morning, you would be communicating and talking and and pressing and convicting and making Jesus look beautiful to us and drawing us, saving us, rescuing us. Oh God, would you be doing that today? Father, we love you. It's in the good name of Jesus we ask these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.